0: This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, my name is Owen. Good morning. If you're watching at home, it's great to have you with us this morning, wherever you are in the world. I know we have people from all over the world watching and joining us online. It's so good to have you with us if you're here for the first time. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And um, it's my. I'm excited about talking, talking with you this morning because um, there's kind of... Well, we're, doing, we're going through this uh, series on Mark, um, which is an account of the Gospel of Jesus. And... Uh, yeah, I, one of the joys about preaching from the Bible Is that the Bible speaks for itself You just have to get out of its way And I feel like very much today What I'm going to be talking about Is, is very much Jesus speaking to us Rather than uh, me kind of translating it So um, I want to ask you a question first of all um, Would you consider yourself religious? Are you a religious person? Now I have a mate who is in the British Army And uh, and. Uh, just occasionally we have, a, uh, we, we have drinks together, we, we, our kids play sport together and it, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll describe him as a man of the cloth, man of the cloth, because he's in the army, you see, and they have padres and chaplains and things like that there, and it's all part of a system. Um, and we always, we always laugh about it. But I know that for a fact that because I pastor a church, um, uh, the reality is, is that people would think of me as religious. And you may, you may kind of notice that yourself in relationships with people that if you if people know that you uh, are part of a church that they would think of you as religious right it's just kind of a label that people attach to you and so maybe maybe if you even if you don't think of yourself as religious you might actually have other people who you think you are and i wonder you might be you might, there's no value attached to this you know good or bad you may be delighted that People think of you as religious, or you may actually not want people to think of you as religious. Um, but let's let's talk about what religion is, because it's not so obvious. Um, the word religion actually comes in English comes from the Latin religio, which actually was first quoted by Cicero, one of the one of the Roman statesmen of the Republic of Rome. He quoted it as a a word to describe organized worship of the gods or some form of binding, some form of controlled system of, that organizes people to worship the gods. And, uh, and so this word religio, we'll come back to it in a minute, but it tends to be associated with organized worship. So you might go to a mosque, you might go to a church, you might go to a temple uh, and you would be considered religious. But if you were to go out and enjoy the, the birds singing in the trees or maybe go down to Stonehenge and bang a drum um, at the solstice, as one of my friends did recently, you might consider that not religious but spiritual. So religion kind of refers to kind of an organised spirituality where it's more than just one person's actual spirituality. It's, it's, a group, it's a group mentality. Religion tends to be associated with systems and rules. Um, and there's a very strong boundary about who's in and who's out. Who's, who is part of the, the religion and who is not part of the religion. Um, of course, uh, religion is something that history shows is has actually been used by many, many generations to control people. Um, it's, uh, you know, we, we don't have to look too far back in history. We can look at our contemporary period to come across leaders who either claim the allegiance of God, and I'm thinking of modern political leaders who might say that you know, uh, they believe in God, they go to church and therefore their faith has a big impact on the way they lead, um, to court the, the, sort of the religious vote. Um, or, or it might be that if you look further back in history how some leaders have actually claimed to be divine themselves, or, or, or at least to be anointed as leaders uh, in order to exert power and influence over people um, because of their claim to be connected to the divine or the religious. And, and you know this is not so abstract in our own lives. If you were to, well we, we were in Bristol Cathedral just last week. We had an amazing building. Um, really lovely couple of hours just exploring that building. And uh, a few months back we were down at Wells Cathedral. And if you want to see how powerful and influential and wealthy uh, the Christianity is um, and how tied up it is with the politics of our nation then just go and look at our cathedrals and look beyond just the impressive architecture and ask yourself who built this? why did they build it? where did the money come from to build this? and what you'll see is that actually Christianity was tied up with politics and the leadership of this country and it has been for generations So religion and politics and power um, all tend to go hand in hand. And religions, let's be honest, don't come bigger or more powerful than Christianity. Uh, Presently, depends on how you define it, but presently the claims of about two and a half billion people in the planet are currently claimed to be Christian. Two and a half billion. It is the world's biggest religion and uh, of course it's closely associated with modern western concepts of democracy and liberty and capitalism and it is the most dispersed religion across the world. It is pretty much across the world in every country you will find Christians and uh, the question I want to ask is today is did Jesus intend to start a religion? It's argued, and I think it's fair to argue, that Christianity is a European story that has spread globally through colonisations by European states like Portugal, like Spain, France and Britain in the last 500 years. Where early settlers and conquistadors went, the missionaries followed. And it was used as a tool of effectively colonising, educating and improving the lot of people who lived in the colonised countries. Christianity simply went wherever the empire went. and uh, So it's very much a European story. um, And the question I want to ask is, did Jesus intend to start a religion that we call Christianity? Now, this is our fourth episode in our box set, uh, which is based on the Book of Mark. And the the sort of title that we've given to this box set is, Who is Jesus? We want to know more about who Jesus is, the Jesus that we worship, because you know, if, if you 're here today, you, you probably have a, a, more than just an interest in Jesus. You, you probably would recognize that you have a relationship with Jesus and where we learn about Jesus is actually in not just in our personal spiritual experiences but in the Bible we, and, we, and we see who Jesus is and so when we ask ourselves the question, did Jesus intend to start a religion called Christianity? then we need to go back to the Bible. And so we're looking at Mark today. So if you've, got a, uh, if you've got a Bible on the Bible up on your phone or you've got a Bible with you, do turn to it. We're going to be looking at Mark 2, 23 to 28 to start with. And I've, I just want you to know that Mark is, scholars think that Mark is a first-hand account of Jesus' life. That Mark was actually writing down what the Apostle Simon Peter told him. Uh, you'll know that Peter was like Jesus' right-hand man and uh, would have been pretty much exposed to everything that Jesus did. And what you'll notice in the book of Mark is that there's, there's almost nothing in the book of Mark where Peter is not present. Okay, So just have a look through it yourself and just ask yourself, where's Peter in this story? Who's telling this story? Is Peter involved in this story? Just imagine Peter writing, telling Mark to write this down and this happened and that happened and Mark's just writing it down like a good secretary scholar. So Mark two twenty-three to 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So just a bit of context there. They're walking through grain fields. It's probably corn, like corn on the cob. And um, uh, the Pharisees were the religious uh, if you like there were the religious teachers of the day everything in Jewish Israeli society was determined by the law of Moses and the people that taught the law of Moses were the Pharisees and teachers of the law the priests and uh, and so they really kept a close eye on what ordinary people were doing with their lives and on this occasion they're, they're kind of like the police they're walking behind Jesus and saying why are your disciples picking uh, you know corn on the cob basically in order to eat it why are they doing this because it's unlawful on the Sabbath and Jesus answered Have you never read what David did? Referring this is to King David, who was a revered king in Israel's history. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Shock, horror. Jesus is going, have you never read? Do you not know this story? Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, before we dive into that, let me just say to you, the linguists think that Romans invented the Latin word religio. Okay, They think it was a word that was invented like to distinguish between religious and secular because prior to that, in most Middle Eastern uh, cultures, there was no divide between religious and secular what you and I would call religious, was everything. There was no secular. And um, what, was, um, what was true for the Romans and the Greeks was also true for the Jews at the time of Jesus. There was always this deep awareness uh, amongst the Jews that they were in a privileged position. They were in a special relationship with Yahweh, which was their name for God. That Yahweh, they believed Yahweh was the, was, was the one true God of all The universe, not just their particular people, but the the Jews had a very special relationship with Yahweh, and uh, and so, you know, the reality is is that in Jesus' time, being a Jew wasn't something you chose to be; you just were. You were. It was a it was a it was a marker an identity. Of, uh, of, your, of who you were of the culture you were part of of the nation that you were part of and, um, and so as I say the division between uh, religious and secular just didn't exist so going back to this story in Mark's account Jesus and his disciples are walking through fields of corn and the disciples decide to help themselves because they're hungry which would have been common practice and let me say entirely legal on a weekday but okay. <laughs> Not on the Sabbath, apparently, Um, and uh, uh, what happens here is is that we're seeing the Pharisees really, really nitpicking. Um, So, so yes, the law of Moses forbid, forbade working on the Sabbath. uh, Sabbath being the day off, like you you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. It was against the law of Moses. Okay, Um, which of course is a good thing. You know, just like most laws in our society, most laws are designed to work for the benefit of the people. Okay not to oppress people and we know full well what happens when we have laws that oppress people and restrict our rights we rebel against them right we, we protest we people riot people were rioting outside of this building right here right outside those windows because of laws that were being imposed that they felt were oppressive and re- restrictive so laws are there for the benefit of society so the Mosaic law at their time this was their law was have a Sabbath have a day off we, would, we, would have this, we have similar laws, like, you know, we have working time directives. You can't work more than a certain number of hours, you know, unless you give your explicit permission to do so. The reality is, is, it was just a simple law, take a day off. But what happened was that the Pharisees, in order to try and keep the law, because they were obsessed with keeping the law, because they believed that by keeping the law they pleased God, they invented 39 definitions of that law. Like, This is 39 ways in which you can interpret this law. So there are 39 ways to break this law. And one of them, not one of them, let me give you two or three. This list included picking ears of corn. You weren't allowed to pick an ear of corn. You weren't allowed to take the husk off the corn. And believe it or not, you actually weren't allowed to walk very far on the sabbath either you could walk a little distance but not a long distance so those of you that enjoyed enjoyed going out for hikes and trekking you you wouldn't get away with it at that time it was against the law so they had all these different interpretations of this singular law that which forbade working on the sabbath but jesus jesus cuts right through their anxiety and let me say it's anxiety they're anxious about kind of falling out of favor with god and Jesus cuts right through their anxiety, and uh, he says to them that uh, none other than the revered King David and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was only lawful for the priests to eat. He soothes their anxieties with the reminder that Yahweh created the Sabbath for the benefit of human being rather than 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 a burden. Okay, God didn't create the Sabbath to be a burden; He created it to be a benefit. Somehow the Pharisees had turned it into a burden. And, and, and then he goes on to say, which I'll come back to in a minute, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, which is like it's just a whole layer of meaning in there that we, we need to just unpack in a moment. But let me just move on to Mark's second uh, commentary on Sabbath, where it, Mark 3, verse 1 to 6. Another time, so another time to this situation, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. God knows what that looked like, but a shriveled hand, a deformed hand. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, uh, that that is the Pharisees. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, that is the Pharisees, to teach the law of the priests, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. Now for those of you who think Jesus is just a a kind of meek and mild kind of uh, sallow, pale, weak, white man. Just think again. As I've said to you, uh, if you listened to the first talk in this episode, this first episode in this box set. I I think Jesus was pretty strapped. I think he was strong. He was a labourer. Some say he was a carpenter, maybe a stonemason. He was a strapped guy. And what's more... When he recruited uh, some disciples, they were they were fishermen, they were also well strapped, they would have been beefy, they'd have looked like Finn. Alright? They were they were men, okay, not to be messed with. Okay. And so when you read this next line, just think about that, okay? Jesus looked around at them in anger. I don't think you want to mess with Jesus when he's angry. He looks around them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored now you might find that incomprehensible what what does that look like and and, and frankly it is incomprehensible it's incredible it's incredible okay if that happened here we'd be amazed by it we'd find it incomprehensible we couldn't explain it okay we're not we're not, not messing around here That was an incredible thing that happened. And what happened? Afterwards, the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, I haven't got time to tell you about the Herodians. I will do another time. But they went out and they met up with their arch enemies and they both decided that Jesus was a threat to both groups. So they planned how they were going to kill him. This is really early on in Jesus' ministry. He's already receiving death threats. His life is already in danger. So here's one of those times when Jesus gets really angry and distressed because the Pharisees, in his opinion, have taken the law of Moses and they've taken something that was meant to benefit the people and they've used it to oppress the people. Okay, And that's what Jesus is angry about. He's really angry because he recognises that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, are representing God. And they're, saying, and they're saying, actually, this law that God has, has given to Moses, you know, it's really important that you obey it. And, uh, and at the end of the day, that means that you know, if a man is, 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 you know, is, is suffering, then you can't heal him on the Sabbath. If this person needs feeding, they can't be fed on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, no, that is not what this is about. And, and if you know Jesus, I don't know if any of you do know Jesus... <laughs> that was meant as a rhetorical question, but the reality is, is that if you know Jesus, you'll know that nothing makes him more angry and more mad than oppressive behaviour towards the vulnerable by the powerful. Jesus is so against it. I mean, just just read Mark's account, and you'll see how many times he gets angry, and he gets angry with powerful people who use oppressive ways to oppress and to effectively uh, deny the rights of vulnerable and needy people. Jesus gets so mad about this. And, uh, well, we should think about that. We should think about that. If we want to be like Jesus, I wonder how much we share Jesus' contempt for people who abuse the vulnerable and the weak. See, the thing is, is that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they said that to be accepted by Yahweh, you need to adhere to a code of conduct. You need to observe loads of rules and you need to behave in a certain way. They said that to be accepted by Yahweh, you needed to belong to the right group of people. You see, what we don't often pick up in the accounts of Jesus is that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the priests, they believed that there were certain groups of people who were cursed by God and that had no place in God's kingdom. And I'm talking here about people you'll recognize because you see Jesus hanging out with all these people. People called the tax collectors, they were hated by general society because they generally stole from general society and working for the Romans. Uh, Prostitutes, like they they were just considered to be uh, unclean and unacceptable to God. Um, People that were called sinners, um, just people basically that broke the law. People who were diseased and injured or disabled, they were considered cursed by God because they had no concept of how God could be a blessing to them because these people were diseased and injured and disabled. So the the priests, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, they kind of avoided these groups of people because they were considered cursed by God. So there was this clear in and out. The Pharisees teach the law, and the priests are saying, You're in if you're not part of one of those groups of people, and you're in if you obey this code of conduct. Which is why they got so mad with Jesus. Because Jesus hung out with who? Jesus spent most of his time with the tax collectors, the the prostitutes, uh, the diseased, the infirm, the disabled. He he hung out with all those people. And the reason the Pharisees teach the law and and the priests got so annoyed about this was because Jesus was hanging out with all the people that were considered to be cursed by God. If you just turn the page backwards in Mark to Mark two twenty-seven. just go back a few verses um, Mark 2, 15 and 16 whilst Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him So most of the people that followed Jesus were tax collectors, sinners and and the like. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the sinners and the tax collectors? You can just imagine their bafflement. What's going on here? These people are cursed by God. Why would Jesus hang out with these people? I want to say to you that it, to me it's clear that Jesus had no time for the religious attitude what we would call the religious attitude and behaviour of the priests, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law absolutely no time for it I want to say, but you might disagree with me so I'm open-minded, you can disagree with me, it's fine I'm not, caught, I'm not bothered about that but I, I almost think Jesus was contemptuous of them because they oppressed the weak and the vulnerable and the needy and they, and they refused to say that God had any time for them they refused to say that God loved them And Jesus was like, that's such a load of utter rubbish. Jesus had no time for what we would call the religion of the Pharisees, the teachers of law, and the priests. And he argued with them repeatedly about their understanding and application of the law of Moses. I mean, honestly, just read through Mark's account and see how many times Jesus has an argument with the Pharisees. And it doesn't always go well. And in fact, eventually, Jesus dies. Jesus is killed by those people. He's killed on the cross because of their anger towards him. And by spending most of his time with the vulnerable and the unseen, the so-called cursed people, Jesus demonstrated that the love of God was unconditional. So, I want to suggest to you that there's no way Jesus intended to start a religion. So what did he do? Well, there's a clue to this in the statement that Mark records when Jesus speaks of himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 2, 27 to 28. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not for man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus affirms the legal importance of the Sabbath. Right? He wants us to have a day off. He wants humanity to rest. He, he recognises a rhythm of work and rest, which is essential for human flourishing. But he emphasises the why. The Sabbath was made to benefit people rather than be a burden. Religion is not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a benefit. In claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus makes an incredible claim to be God himself. Arguably, Jesus is saying here, I am Yahweh and I instructed Moses to tell the Jews to take a Sabbath, so stop arguing with me. Can you imagine how angry the Pharisees and teachers of the law would be is it any wonder that Mark records straight away then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus this is is spicy stuff this is is incendiary stuff this is revolutionary stuff but there's more meaning here because that word Sabbath means something doesn't it it means it's not just a day off to go shopping Sabbath means deep rest it's actually related to the word, the Jewish word, shalom. And if you know the word shalom, shalom means deep peace. It means deep rest. It means, it means life in all its fullness. Shalom is those moments when all is well in the world. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's when you are at peace. It's when you are full of joy and are full of thankfulness and hope and full of love. Uh, shalom is you on your best day off. Shalom is you on your first day of your holiday. Shalom is you when you feel safe to be vulnerable with another person. We saw Shalom in Sonny a bit there, didn't we? When he was talking about the joy of being open and vulnerable with those around him and realising that actually some of those things he believed by himself were not true. That was Shalom. That was being at peace and full of joy content satisfied fulfilled with no fear no anxiety I hope that you have experienced that from time to time you may not you will not experience that all the time but I hope that you experience that from time to time because that's what Jesus is talking about here freedom from anxiety freedom from fear the story of Jesus in Mark Interestingly, it is repeated word for word in Matthew. That's not surprising because Matthew uh, and Luke used Mark as their source, okay, and then they added some. So there's this identical story in Matthew, and right at the start of Matthew, just before, sorry, not at the start of Matthew, right before, uh, in where Matthew writes this same account as Mark, Matthew includes some verses of Jesus speaking which are incredibly pertinent. Just turn the Bibles to Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus didn't intend to start a religion. Jesus intended to lift religion off our shoulders. You can see an image of a yoke in a minute. And a yoke is actually a, a device that yokes two cattle together to pull a plow or any other agricultural device. And together, the two cattle, yoked together by this device, can pull the weight of whatever they're pulling. And Jesus takes, as he always did, a contemporary metaphor and uses it to demonstrate what he's trying to communicate, which is this. Is that if you allow me to share the yoke, the burden of life with you, it will feel really restful and easy. It will be no effort to you. That's the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about when he talks about the Sabbath and about Shalom. So what does that mean for us? Well, friends, you might be surprised to hear me say this, but it means that you do not have to join a religious group to have Jesus come alongside you and carry the burden of your life with you. It means that you don't have to do anything religious To help you find shalom in Jesus. You don't have to do it. Because there's nothing that you have to do. That will make Jesus come alongside you. And share the burden of life with you. If religion is about rules and systems of control. And identity politics. And let's face it. That tends to be what religion is then it's been around as long as people have been on the face of this earth. It's been around that long. Jesus' main goal, and I I want you to hear me say this, hand on heart, it's as simple as this, friends. Jesus' main goal was to reset our relationship with God. It was to lift religion with its rules and its systems of control and identity politics, it was to lift the yoke of religion off our shoulders and remind us that the relationship between God and humanity is simply defined by his unconditional love for us. Everyone. Not just Christians. Where are you at with this? Does Jesus' invitation seem tempting and deliciously simple? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that feel too easy? Oh, but surely I've got to do something. Surely I've got to earn that kind of love. Surely I've got to earn my place. No, you don't. You do not have to do anything. The good news of Jesus is that he's done it all. He's come to lift the burden off you so you might live in a place of shalom and peace as he carries the weight of your life alongside you. Because his yoke is easy. How are you feeling this week? Are you weary and burdened? Do you need some rest? Do you want to feel alive? Do you want to feel emotionally, spiritually healthy? Do you want to have great relationships with your friend, family, friends and neighbors? Do you want to feel like you've got a sense of purpose in life, a sense of calling a vocation? you know, just before I spoke. Anne came up to me and just said to me, oh, I just feel like Jesus is speaking to me about something. It was like a, a kind of, a, you know, a word of encouragement for us as a congregation. And what she repeated to me was exactly that. She didn't know I was going to say that this morning, did you, Anne? And she's shaking her head right now if you can't see her. But that's exactly what she told me. Now, you might say, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, it might be. But at the same time, I want you to know that God loves to speak. And he loves to speak directly to us. And um, this morning, I think this is a a word for all of us in the season. This This is a present word. We do not, we do not and we are not part of a religious procession a religious organisation with rules and systems of control. We're simply a gathering of people that have one thing in common, that we're actually charmed by this invitation of Jesus. This invitation of Jesus to enjoy the love of God, enjoy the unconditional love of God in our day-to-day lives, to allow him to... Come and lift the weight and the burden of our lives from our shoulders. Jesus invites us to experience rest with God, not religion. Rest. What would you rather have? More religion? More control? More systems? Or would you rather have rest? Would you rather have shalom? Would you rather live life to the full? I'm just going to invite you just to um, maybe even close your eyes just to reflect on that for a moment.